American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. American popular culture is amazing. You're probably watching this on a computer that you also use to watch videos and movies and TV shows, and I bet some of them come from the United States. In fact, in many cases, they all come from the United States. American popular culture is the single biggest export that the U.S. has. In an era when it no longer dominates the world market for products like steel or uh, cars uh, or even uh, computers themselves, the computers are playing American popular culture. The televisions are playing American popular culture. People are driving in cars listening to American music. So how did this come to be? In many ways, we'll see that this is a recent phenomenon, historically speaking. It's a phenomenon of the years after World War II, and it's a phenomenon uh, that has helped to shape the post-war world in some very important ways. I'm gonna give you three reasons that I think explain part of why American popular culture emerges with such force uh, and, and becomes so popular uh, on the world market of culture, if you will, in the 20th century. Three reasons that go back to the ways that popular culture in the United States actually evolves and evolves out of the specific history of the United States. The first is the long-standing presence of African Americans in the United States. And uh, we could talk about the differences between West African cultures and Western European cultures, and that's certainly no doubt part of the equation there as well. But I think the most important factor that explains the disproportionate contribution of African Americans and of African American ideas and practices to uh, the broader American culture is simply this. For hundreds of years, the only way that most African Americans could actually say what they thought uh, and do something that uh, accentuated themselves uh, and established themselves as an individual was to say something that was so new and so innovative that enslavers and other whites really had no idea what they were saying. And yet at the same time, these practices are very attractive to whites, and whites try to imitate uh, African-American singing, African-American dancing, African-American storytelling, uh, and ultimately other forms of African-American art. But by the late 19th century, that practice of whites imitating and commercializing what African-Americans do in their artistic and other sorts of practices is fully there. It's fully embedded in American culture. That's going to be very important uh, as we go forward into the 20th century because uh, Americans in general, white and black, are going to export that African-American culture and those innovative practices to the rest of the world. The second thing, second thing that matters uh, is simply this. In contrast to most Western European countries, which had state religions that, that helped to establish, along with the state itself, a sort of high cultural ideal for what, was, what it was to be German, or what it was to be French, or what it was to be English. In the United States, there's no state religion. In fact, uh, in many of the colonies, uh, most notably Pennsylvania, before the Revolution, so before the First Amendment and the Constitution, which mandates the separation of church and state, there's essentially uh, a broad set of practices of religious diversity. There's a free marketplace of religious ideas, and thus that helps to create uh, an ideal of a free marketplace of cultural practices, a free marketplace of um, 
on deciding what's right and wrong to do. Uh, and there will be people throughout the 19th century and beyond who try to say, this is American culture and nothing else is, and this is what should be taught in schools. But those people inevitably fail. The dynamic is already there that's going to undermine them and support innovation. And it's going to argue for this marketplace of cultural ideas. There's one more thing that's important, and that is the long history of mass immigration to the United States. The African slave trade, of course, uh, but going beyond that into the late 19th century in particular, where we see the mass migration of Southern and Eastern Europeans to the industrial cities of the Northeast and Midwest. Jammed into the slums and tenements together, uh, what they find is the ability to uh, find common ground, uh, often in American popular culture, especially in the commodified form of new media that is starting to emerge in the early 1900s. The uh, new kinds of musical recording are important here, but what's also very important is the emergence of movies. Silent movies, of course, but movies that have to find a way to communicate to these very diverse audiences, that have to find a way to communicate without a common language or a common cultural history, that have to uh, instead find ways to evoke very quickly, very visually through gestures and dress uh, and all kinds of uh, techniques like that, uh, a human connection between the person on the screen and the very different groups of people in the audience. And the ability of American film to very quickly connect with people who don't even necessarily speak English is something that's going to be a powerful cultural force and that's going to bleed out uh, as a set of techniques into other kinds of popular culture uh, that emanate from the United States. And it's going to be very important over the course of the 20th century. For more information, go to edX.org and look for American Capitalism, A History, with Lewis Hyman and Edward Baptist. Or go to facebook.com slash American Capitalism MOOC. This podcast has been brought to you by Cornell X from Cornell University. Thank mm-hmm. you.